I just want to bring a short devotion um, for Good Friday. I don't want to take too much time. But I think it's uh, something that we need to ponder and talk about because we have to go through a bit of darkness to get to the light. And today and tomorrow, um, we need to let that darkness and that, that, that the horrible event of Good Friday sit with us so that we can celebrate on Easter morning. So it was a, the single most horrible day in the history of the world. No incident has ever been more, tra more tragic and no future event will ever match it. No surprise attack, no political assassination, no financial collapse, no military invasion, no atomic detonation or nuclear warfare, no cataclysmic act of terrorism, no large-scale famine or disease can eclipse the darkness of that day. No suffering has ever been so unfitting. No human has ever been so unjustly treated because no human has ever been so worthy of praise. No one else has ever lived without sin. No other human has ever been God himself. No horror surpassed what transpired on a hill outside Jerusalem almost two millennia ago. Yet we call it Good Friday. For Jesus, the most horrible of days dawned in Roman custody at the governor's headquarters. His own people had turned him over to the oppressive empire. The, the, the thread that held the Jewish nation together was its pining for the promised ruler in the line of their great beloved King David. Both David himself and the prophets who came before him and after him all pointed the people to an even greater king who would come. Yet when he finally came, his people, the very nation that ordered its collective life around waiting for him, did not see him for who he was. They rejected their own Messiah. It was in his own day, David had seen pagan plots against him as God, as God's anointed one. And he says in Psalm 2, verses 1 to 2, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And now David's words have come true for his greater descendant. As Jesus' own people turned out on him and handed him to the Romans. Judas wasn't the first to plot against Jesus, but he was the first to deliver him over. The schemes against Jesus began long before Judas realised uh, money might be made available in this transaction. But what began uh, with manoeuvring to entangle Jesus's or Jesus within his words soon devolved into a conspiracy to put him to death. And Judas's love of money made him a strategic first domino to fall in delivering Jesus to his death. Now, Jesus had seen it coming. He told his disciples ahead of time. We saw it also in the, uh, the Gospel reading, but in Matthew 20, verse 18, it says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. 
At first, the, the traitor was nameless. Now he emerges from Jesus' own inner circle of the twelve. One of his own close friends will turn on him, and all for a slave's price of 30 pieces of silver. Psalm 41 verse 9 says, Even my close friend, someone I trust, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. Zechariah chapter 12 verse Sorry, chapter 11, verse 12 to 13 says, I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay. But if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them at the potter at the house of the Lord. But Judas didn't act alone. Jesus himself had foretold, foretold that the chief priests and the scribes would condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And it all unfolded according to a plan. A band of soldiers and officers of the Jews arrested him and delivered him to Pilate as Pilate would uh, acknowledge to Jesus, your own nation of chief priests have delivered you over to me. And on the day God's chosen Messiah was grossly and unjustly executed, the human agents of evil standing at the helm were the formal officers of God's chosen people. The fault would not be limited to them, but to them much had been given and much would be required. And Jesus was clear with Pilate, who deserved more blame? He who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And even Pilate could not tell why the Jewish leaders had it out for Jesus. In Mark chapter 15, verse 10, he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. They saw Jesus winning favour with people and quaked at the prospect of their own influence being eroded. Jesus' Jesus's rise to renown um, posed such a threat to their fragile sense of authority and so the priests and the scribes worked together in a web of wickedness. Guilty parties served their corresponding roles. The, Jew, the Jewish leaders drove the plan. Judas served as the catalyst and Pilate too had his own part to play, however passive, he would try to cleanse or uh, clean the guilt from his conscience by publicly washing his hands of the whole affair, but he was not able to get himself off the hook by doing that. As the ranking Roman on side, he could not have put an end, he could have, he could have just put an end to this whole injustice that he saw unfolding in front of him. He knew it was evil. Both Luke and John in their Gospels record three times or three different instances of Pilate declaring, I find no guilt in him. In, su in such a scenario, a righteous ruler would not have vindicated the accused, but seen to it that he would have been protected from subsequent harm from his accusers. Yet ironically, finding no guilt in Jesus became the cause of Pilate's guilt. He bore, or he bowed, sorry, to what seemed politically expedient in that moment. First Pilate tried to bargain, he offered to release a notorious criminal, but the people 
called his bluff and called for the release of the, the guilty man instead. And now Pilate was cornered. He washes his hands and shows as a show and releases the murderer Barnabas. And having scourged Jesus, delivered him up to be crucified. And Pilate's part, no doubt, was more reactive than the conspiracy of the Jewish leaders. But when he delivered Jesus over to their will, he joined them in their wickedness. Now, the rank and file also played a part as well. They allowed themselves to be incited by the scheming officials. They called for the release of a man who they knew was guilty in the place of the man who was innocent. Right, rightly would the Apostle Peter uh, preach after the resurrection and after the ascension in the book of Acts chapter 3 verse 13 to 15. He addresses the people of Jerusalem and he says, You handed Jesus over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate. Though he, was though he had decided to let him go, you disowned the Holy One or the Holy and Righteous One and asked that the murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead and we are witnesses to this. And as early Christians in Jerusalem would pray in Acts chapter 4 verse 27, for truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. Neither Herod nor the Romans are clean as well. In the end, in a surprising turn, Jews and Gentiles worked together to kill the author of life. And soon enough, we come to find that it's not only Judas, it's not only Pilate, it's not only the leaders, and it's not only the people who were implicated in all of this. We see ourselves, we see our own evil. Even as we see through the blackness of this Friday into the light of God's goodness, we delivered Jesus over. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, Christ died for our sins. Romans 4.25, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. Galatians 1.4, Jesus gave himself for our sins. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. What we meant for evil, God meant for good. God was at work doing his greatest good in the most horrible evil. Over in and beneath the spiralling evil of Judas, the spiralling evil of the Jewish leaders, of Pilate, of the people, and all forgiven sinners, God's hand is steady. Never to blame for evil, ever working for our final good. As Peter would soon preach, Jesus was delivered up according to the divine plan and foreknowledge of God. To the, to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. And as I said before, the early Christians would pray uh, in Acts chapter 4, 27-28, we hear their prayer. Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, did 
whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And thousands of years before that horrible Friday, a man called Joseph said these words, What man meant for evil, God meant for good. And it is true, this day, this Friday, bears the fingerprints of sinners, bears the fingerprints of evil, but it also bears the sovereign hand of God for good. Therefore, how can we not shout Joseph's words over the great tragedies and the great horrors of our own lives? What man meant for evil, God meant for good. And since God himself, for our everlasting good, did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with his gracious how will he not with him with him graciously give us all things god wrote good on the single worst day in the history of the world and there is not one day not one week not one month one year not one lifetime of suffering not one trauma not one loss not one pain not one momentary uh, pain or, 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 or that of chronic injury over which God can write good for you and I in Jesus Christ. Satan and sinful man meant that Friday for evil, but God meant it for good. And so we call it Good Friday. Amen.